but it's the summer of tennis, Dan, and it the is. voice of tennis at SEN and all uh, our networks is definitely Brett Phillips, and he joins us to have a bit of a preview since uh, it's all getting underway. BP, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, we are underway officially with the second instalment of the United Cup, this uh, team event. We're not sure about its uh, long-term future with everything rumbling around uh, mm-hmm. what the calendar might look like in about 12 months' time with the influence of Saudi Arabia. But, yeah, we're underway in Perth and Sydney gets underway tomorrow. And, of course, uh, Brisbane, uh, the Brisbane International with uh, Rafa as the, the major draw card gets underway Sunday. So, yeah, we're into the thick of it. Now, I want to talk to you about that live style type of situation, but we'll park that for the moment, get back to it, because I want to talk about what's kind of happening at the moment. You mentioned Rafa Nadal. I think that's so exciting to kind of start the summer of tennis that he's going to be in Brisbane. He's already there, in fact, and to sort of work out where he's at going into a, an Australian Open. I think it's a, it's a, it's a perfect way to, to almost kickstart the, the next month. No doubt. Look, he's going to find out. We're going to find out just where he's at. And I don't know if you've seen the footage uh, today, uh, Adam, but uh, he, they took him into the mall in the, in the heart of Brisbane there. And I don't know how many people were there. It was absolutely jam-packed just to get a glimpse of Rafa. He did a and a He signed autographs. Uh, he's always been willing, uh, Nadal, uh, to go above and beyond for a, a tournament. And look, he's had a, a hit already. He does look Sharp, I've been obviously following in the last month as he's ramped up the preparations. And this is this hasn't been easy for him to come back. We haven't seen him play since January. He really didn't start hitting till about August. He needed a lot of rest. He had the abdominal issue. He had the hip issue. He's had you know, additional surgery. Was he going to come back? He always said he wanted to finish his career on court. And that, I mean, Roger Federer had that wish as well and unfortunately didn't quite pan out that way for Roger apart from that little cameo at the end of the Labor Cup. But Nadal, look, hasn't absolutely said, I'm retiring, but he's strongly hinted this is probably going to be his last year, realistically, on the tour. We don't know what it's going to look like, but at least we get an early glimpse in Brisbane. I think the draw's coming out in about an hour's time, so we'll we'll find out who he'll play round one. I think he probably won't get out on court until Monday. Uh, but, yeah, it's huge for the Brisbane International, Adam and Dan, which you know, makes its return. First time in four years. The people of Brisbane wanted their own tournament back, and, uh, you know, this facility uh, is going to get better and better, uh, obviously, with the Olympics, you know, coming up in about, what, eight or nine years' time. They'll uh, continue to improve, you know, Pat Rafter Arena. So, BP, just while we're on Rafa, and I'm starting for a second here, he won the 2022 Australian Open and just came from nowhere to win that one. He's 37 years of age now. Is it too much to ask that probably the fan favourite outside the Australians at the Oz Open can compete and win it this year? Yeah. Well, I mean, that that final, uh, Dan, that's one of the most enjoyable nights I've had in the SEM bunker when he was absolutely on the ropes against Medvedev. And he's given us, I mean, that warrior uh, performance so many times that you struggle to remember which is the best one. But I feel like that one was uh, extra special. I mean, look, it'd be a huge effort. You know, we always hoped Roger was going to you know, win one late. And when he lost that Wimbledon final at about the same age to Djokovic, uh, that was heartbreaking. That was probably his, realistically his last chance. Look, I think we just need to get a look at a couple of matches um, to see what he's like. Uh, it'd be the absolute fairy tale, no doubt. I mean, obviously, Novak owns the Australian Open red-hot favourite to win an 11th. Uh, but, you know, Nadal, hopefully there's 
you know, some icing on the cake of this career this year, wherever that might be. I mean, obviously, he'd love to win Roland Garros one more time. He's targeted playing at the Olympics, probably with Alcaraz, if he gets to that stage, which is, you know, obviously a long way down the track. Um, I don't think he can probably win it. Look, he's actually lowered his own expectations. He still wants, he just wants to come back and be competitive, end his career on court, whatever that looks like. But he's also realistic that, you know, there might not be another major in the bag. So then do you think that you mentioned Djokovic, who is always the heavy favourite? We've touched on Nadal. Is there anyone else that you want to see at the United Cup or the Brisbane International so that we've got a bit more of an idea heading into the Australian Open who might be the other contenders this year? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, that that young brigade, uh, which we're going to see in the lead-up to the Australian Open split between playing the United Cup and Brisbane, that young brigade... This is the question going into 2024. You know, can these guys... And Alcaraz winning Wimbledon showed it's possible. But then, you know, Djokovic wins the other three. But can all these guys, Sinner, Holger Runa, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, who didn't have a great uh, back half of the season. And then you've got Ben Shelton, the exciting young American, you know, quarter of the Australian Open, semi of the US from nowhere last year. He's a big-time performer. And there's a few others that, you know, might be able to... Uh, step up but that's the challenge to beat Novak best of five not just in a one hit sort of wonder slam you know trying to do this consistently so that's the big uh, that's the big challenge but I think on the women's side this is an intriguing year it's the comeback of you know the mums you know Naomi Osaka I've been watching her train in Brisbane she looks good I mean she's had to obviously get her match fitness back uh, Angelique Kerber three-time major champion also coming back 18 months out of the game, giving birth. Uh, we saw a little bit of Caroline Wozniacki at the back end of last year at the US Open. She's coming back. Uh, Emma Raducanu is going to be coming back, US Open winner, who took time off the surgery uh, this year. So, yeah, the women's side's really intriguing as to whether any of those can make some impact into Igor Sviontek, who's had an incredible couple of years, Arena Sabalenka, Australian Open champion of uh, the last 12 months, and Elena Rybakina, the, the Wimbledon champion, going back. They've sort of been the big three at the moment. So I want to see if these uh, these mums can come back and make a, a real impression second time around. It, it is remarkable. I, I heard you actually talking to Julian DeStoop about this on on SEN Mornings last week. A, a bit, just that whole narrative around the, the mums. But because from the women's point of view, since Serena kind of dropped away or, or just stopped playing... It is a total raffle every time there is a, a, a major championship with the women. But then when you throw in this curveball, anything's mm. possible from a, from a women's draw. And that's what makes it, I think, really exciting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the women's has been like this for a little while. This is why it's one of the hardest questions yeah, I get asked right. every slam, Adam. Who's going <laughs> to win? Well, you know, it's gone throw, from throw Serena. It. Yeah, it's gone from Serena <laughs> to now just have to take the field in the quaddie. <laughs> Yeah, and exactly. And you think back when Emma Raducanu won that US Open as a qualifier at 150 in the world, you go, well, yeah. don't even ask me this question again. No, if she's right. going to pop up and win, this is mission impossible trying to answer. So, yeah, there's a lot of depth in the women's um, and they're fearless. You know, they don't, they don't go out and play the resume on the other side of the net. They just play their game. You know, they hit the, they've been playing since they were a youngster. They back themselves in. They've got confidence. So, yeah, anything can happen. We hope an Australian can make a bit of impact, although, you know, certainly on the women's side, it's a bit of an uphill battle. Uh, but, you know, on the men's side, we've got a obviously a big contingent of Aussies. I'd like to see more between zero and 50 because the Demons, you know, sitting up there on the verge of being in the top 10, that's got to be his goal in 2024. 
But, you know, Purcell and Poprin and Vukic, you know, Kokonakis, can he play his best tennis now? Because he's probably the most talented out of <laughs> that batch. You know, Rinky hit yep. Carter stepping up, yep. Jason Kubler. So I, I think they can all be pretty competitive uh, this Aussie summer. Yeah, BP, I was going to ask you about that because Nick Kyrgios is not going to be playing in the Australian Open, which is disappointing for Australian fans. But is it as simple as the Demon and Kokonakis, the two maybe most well-known to your casual fans, that will be the greatest hopes at the Australian Open for the Aussies? Yeah, and I'd say watch out for Max Purcell. And uh, I've just been talking to the man who... Uh, well, he, Max uh, was coached by Nathan Healy, who played on the tour, coached Leighton right at the back end of his career. He did an amazing job with Max. And as this as happens in tennis, uh, because the player's the CEO, I can flick the coach whenever they like. And now he's... <laughs> and Nathan said, on, Nathan said on the first serve on our, our show two years ago when I asked him, you know, the ceiling for Max, he said top 20. And I nearly fell off my chair. Wow. Not thinking he wasn't capable of it, but he was a long way back then. Here he is at about 45 in the world. Nathan's come back for uh, stint two as the coach. So it'd be fitting if he could take Max to the top 20. He's got absolute X factor written all over him. And he's now maturing 25. I think the best is still to come. But yeah, I mean, Alex Dumanor, he's leading the charge. He's inspiring the rest of them. And, you know, the expectation now is that Alex is around that sort of fourth round quarterfinal mark at least and then it comes down to you know matchups okay before we let you go bp i did want to ask you about the the live situation when it comes to tennis for one of a better term jessica bagula has spoken about it just in the last 24 hours saying it's inevitable and it probably is when you think of the similarities between golf and tennis and the way that they run their their tours and it's an individual sport and a lot of the tennis players complain they play too much because Part of their responsibility is to play around the world, to keep it a world sport. Um, Where do you think this will end up? I know it's a difficult question, and we're probably opening Pandora's box, but where where do you think it'll end up? There's a lot of delicate discussions going on at the moment, and the tours are taking their time to work through all this. There's a lot of stakeholders. It's obviously a part of the world that um, draws attention because of what happens in that country, particularly for the uh, the women's side. Now, the WTA aren't as flush financially as the ATP, right? So they want to secure, um, you know, the, the future of women's tennis. I mean, their goal, I think, by 2033 is to have total equality in uh, in prize money right across uh, the tour and uh, in, in matching uh, the men uh, separate from the Grand Slams, which obviously have the equal prize money. Uh, they'd love a home for their flagship event, the WTA Finals, which has been moved here, there and everywhere. And, you know, do a 10-year deal with Saudi Arabia. There'd be a huge injection of money. But the top end, which you hope then will filter down also to give more players a chance of making a living. The ATP uh, have certainly said that, you know, they don't want to take over situation. <laughs> they want to go into partnership uh, from a tennis perspective, grow the game in that part of the world, but also... Uh, a, a bigger picture of the influence they might be able to have on Saudi Arabian society. So there's a lot going on, Adam. I mean, in 12 months' time, they're saying that possibly there could be a, a big Masters 1000 event in Saudi Arabia, which would clash with the Aussie summer, uh, which will be interesting to see how that looks. This is why the United Cup is not set in stone. It's a long-term future. Look, a lot's going to unfold in 2024. Um, but if that money can not just be for the top echelon, yes. but can filter down to the 250. What I mean by that is that the money actually gets 
palmed down into the ATP and WTA coffers so that prize money can go up on the secondary tour, the Challenger tour, down to the ITF tour, so that more can be above you know the breadline, so to speak, because that's that, what that, tennis yeah. needs. There's no doubt about that. It's something that I think is, I'm really passionate about this because I think it is actually farcical that we are still in a situation that if you are a player ranked 142 in the world trying to Mm -hmm. play in the Australian Open, odds are that you are staying in a youth hostel or sharing accommodation with two or three others because it is so hard to break even as a professional tennis player ranked 142 in the world to be a, a yeah. professional player and, and make a living out of it. Whereas the 142 ranked Australian footballer is probably on $600,000 a year. It, it just doesn't make sense that tennis can be in this situation. No, and it can depend on the federation you come from. Now, this is where the Australian players are lucky in a sense that they come from a Grand Slam nation uh, obviously, they can get wild cards into a major. I mean, it's huge for the Aussies. You know, the prize money's just gone up today, ten percent. If you, you know, if you, even if you lose in the first round, it's going to be one hundred and twenty thousand dollars Australian in the first round of the Australian Open. So that sets your whole year up. You know, yep. to for your travel and uh, you know coaching and any additional support you need on the road because the Aussies are spending so much time. But if you're coming from a uh, a much poorer tennis federation who aren't supplying any funding and you're basically on your own, running your own business on the road, expenses, income, it, it, it is tough. I mean, the ATP this year have brought in a baseline model where they're trying to look after at least the top 250. So if you get injured or you have time off the tour, they will top up a little bit so that you're um, in a, in a you know, okay financial situation, not scrapping for pennies. But yeah, the WTA certainly isn't as flush uh, money-wise, but and that's why both tours are trying to find a way, yeah, certainly to um, you know encourage kids down the track that, that tennis is an attractive sport to make it more attractive than it ever, ever has been. Yeah, absolutely. Brett, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, good luck over the next month. I know you're not going to get much sleep uh, and you'll yeah. be doing a lot of talking and a lot of calling and a lot of hosting, um, But uh, and we'll hear from you a lot over the next month or so, but uh, good luck with it all. No, thank you, Adam. Thanks, Dan. Talk soon, guys. Thanks, Pepe. Brett Phillips, uh, the voice of tennis.